Your Family, Your Money is brought to you by Westpac Bump Savings Account. Welcome to a Kindling podcast, Your Family, Your Money. I'm Georgina Dent. And I'm Caitlin Fitzsimmons. We're two mums with young families and we want to help all families understand money better. It is so closely linked with, with all of the things that we do, whether that is, you know, where we live, how we live, how we look after our children, where they go to school, how we spend our holidays. It's, it's so closely linked with all of those decisions. And I think that empowering people to, to be comfortable talking about money is so important. It's true. It's one of those big taboos. People hate talking about it, but especially for couples, it's like you, you really have to get on the same page about it. Otherwise, it's not going to work. And I think that the way families manage their money is incredibly important to their, to their security and to their, their happiness. If you've got topics you're interested in or questions you want answers for, send us an email, podcast at kindling.com.au. In this episode, we're going to discuss the economics of children. Yes, well, they can be expensive. Yes, I mean, there's not really exactly a financial return as such. But uh, they are worth it. There are lots of ways to kind of, you know, plan your finances correctly, make sure you're getting the right help from the government. And, uh, you know, you don't have to kind of buy into the idea that you need to kind of buy all the things for the kids all the time as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that uh, in some ways sort of taking the plunge and starting a family, when you sit down and actually look at the economics of it, it can be quite daunting, really, can't it? To think about going down to one income, even for a short period of time, to then you take into account the new expenses, the new space that you might need. Um, you know, there really is, I, I think it's important to be realistic about the fact that upfront there are big expenses. Um, but I think it's also important to sort of look at the bigger picture and, and see it for what it is, that it is an expensive period of time, but it can be managed and it's not going to be the forever situation. Oh, absolutely not. Uh, you know, childcare is um, an expensive uh, time in people's lives as well. Um, you know, once once you're beyond the kind of one income phase, the next step comes childcare. But, you know, it isn't forever. And um, I, I thought it would be helpful to kind of, you know, talk people through the various levels of, of government help they can get as well, mm-hmm. um, because that's actually changing in the childcare space. Yeah. And I mean, look, the thing is, there are government benefits available for most families and, and those things do make a huge difference. I mean, the, the paid parental leave scheme as it stands is, it's not overly generous by worldwide standards, but it actually, you know, it's 18 weeks paid at the minimum wage. So I think at the moment that roughly translates to about $650 a week after tax. And that's not nothing. That is something that makes a real difference into most households' cash flow. Yeah, and it is available for anyone who was working before they um, had the child, but that does include self-employment, casual employment, or indeed if you were already on parental leave and you kind of doubled up with the pregnancies. (laughs) But, uh, you know, for families who have the luxury of 
being able to to plan ahead and know when they want to have their children. You know, they can work together to build up their savings and accrue their annual leave. Um, you know, most people I know who go on parental leave, whether they're going on the 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 government version or whether their employer is uh, a good employer who kind of you know pays extra they're they're also padding it out with other things you know like their annual leave and like their savings and you know trying to get it as long as possible before the the return to work is kind of forced upon them through uh, financial constraints. I do just want to make a point here of saying that because I I read this report that came out earlier this year that shows fathers, um, so any male who who earns less than $150,000 a year and meets the work activity test is also entitled to two weeks of paid parental leave from the government. It's it's roughly $1,200. And at the moment, only one in three families who are eligible are applying for that. And and I know from friends that I've spoken to, a lot of people have, haven't done it just purely because of the administrative burden. But when you think about the fact that $1,200 for, you know, for two out of three families, that's something worth looking into. I mean, so I would say that to anyone who who is about to have a baby or has just had a baby, you know, look into that because it's $1,200 that, that can cover something. And it's really important for fathers to bond with their baby and to be competent with all the kind of, you know, ins and outs of looking after their baby as well. I'll just correct you slightly because, uh, you know, it's it's not for fathers, it's for the second parent. So it could be the father taking the 18 weeks and the mother taking the two weeks. Or, you know, it could indeed be a same-sex couple as well. So that's why it's called parental leave. And I think it would be great for our community and for um, our families and for gender equality generally if men did take more time off to look after children like, you know, they do in Sweden and all I those know. other countries those we hear about all the time. Nordic utopias. And there is actually quite a lot of research that shows this, but the amount of time that a parent spends in the first year of their child's life is basically replicated over their whole life. And so I think that... You know, I feel very strongly that two weeks is not enough time, not even close to enough time for a parent to to bond with a baby. I think in, in my experience, when we had our first child, my husband and I, neither of us had any idea how to look after a baby. And it was one of those things where you just learn it by doing it. And, and I, I think that at this stage in Australia, it's one in 50 dads who takes more than two weeks off. Um, and that is a tiny percentage um, of the population. And it actually does have ongoing ramifications. And it does in a financial sense as well, because I think that if the dynamic that a family follows is that the mother takes time off an extended period away from work to have the baby, and the father just takes two weeks when the baby's first born and then goes back to work. And if that sort of model is replicated for the whole first year of the baby's life, then it sets up the pattern that the mother is the primary caregiver and that the father is the primary breadwinner. And and that extrapolated over time creates problems. Well, let me tell you, the solution to this from my own experience is to have twins. Because uh, when you have two babies, there's kind of really no choice but for both parents to be very active and hands-on. Um, and sure, you know, I was the one who did the breastfeeding for obvious reasons, but um, my husband was very involved in, in looking after the children. And in fact, when I went back to work, when they were kind of, um, I had the luxury of waiting till they were 18 months old, he really became the primary caregiver and, you know, they went to childcare, but he was the one who was taking them and picking them up more often. Uh, so, 
I think that brings us nicely to the topic of childcare, um, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And look, one other thing that I would add is, and I actually said this in the first episode of this podcast, but uh, I became a parent earlier than I had ideally hoped. I had had some health issues, including endometriosis, and I had been given the sort of medical diagnosis that infertility was likely to be on my dance card. And, And it wasn't. And I'm very grateful for that. But the situation was that we hadn't sat down, we hadn't done the planning. If we had sat down, you could not have picked a worse time financially for us to have a baby because we had moved overseas, my husband was studying, and I was supposed to be getting a job and becoming our breadwinner. Um, And having a baby made that incredibly complicated. And in some ways, financially, it was difficult, but in another way, in that it set us up to be very equal parents because because my husband was studying at the time he was around and it meant that we had that autonomy. And look, I would be lying if I said we didn't think, oh my goodness, why are other people so smart and they plan these things? And, and we didn't from a financial perspective. But the other side is it's also a story that I, I like to tell in that it actually was all possible. You know, we, we had very lean times. We bought everything secondhand when we had the baby. We didn't, we've never had an elaborate nursery for any of our kids. Um, so we definitely cut costs, but also it, it did actually, despite how terrifying it looked on paper, we've made the numbers work, you know, over time. And I think that that's an important thing to know. Well, have you ever added up the amount of money that you've spent out of pocket on childcare? Because, you know, for me, it, it's probably about $70,000 before they started school. And that's not including after school care and vacation care since then. The first year back at work for my husband and I, we calculated it and we were $24,000 out of pocket um, for childcare for a single child. And that was gobsmacking. You're listening to the podcast, Your Family, Your Money. In this episode, we're talking about the economics of children. Still to come, a discussion about the government system for childcare subsidy and how that's changing, and the kind of expectations for children's parties and clothes and toys. So, Caitlin, can you talk us through what are the uh, benefits when it comes to childcare? How much are you entitled to receive from the government? Okay, so there's a new system um, that's coming into effect. There is more funding um, attached to it, which is the good news. But in terms of how that funding is going to be divvied out, there will be winners and losers. But what you can do is jump onto uh, the government website, education.gov.au slash childcare, and look at the Family Child Care Subsidy Estimator. Which sounds like a a mouthful. It does, but it's a calculator uh, where you can put in your family's kind of income and the hours you work and how many children and so on. It's actually pretty easy to use. It works well on a mobile as well. You don't have to actually put your personal details in, so you can play around with different scenarios and they're not going to be kind of data matching that or anything. And you can figure out how it it will affect you. Uh, Is it right that under the current arrangement, so before the new ones take effect, there is is $7,500 available per child, per family... Yeah. In terms of the rebate? That's in terms of the rebate, yeah. So it's it's a 50% rebate, except that the cap means that for families that use a lot of uh, childcare, it kind of runs out 
you know, well, and, uh, yes, the year. and also not just families who use a lot of care. I was saying before in our first year um, paying childcare fees, we racked up twenty four thousand dollars in a single year, and our daughter was only going four days a week. But the kicker was that the the cost was over one hundred and fifty dollars a day, mm-hmm. and that wasn't because we desperately wanted the most expensive childcare in the city. It was because that was the only position available, and and I think that is the the that seven and a half thousand dollars works out really well if your childcare fee are under $100 a day. But if they're over that, which in most metropolitan cities they are, then it is it, it does take a greater percentage of your disposable income. We've looked at the numbers at, at Fairfax and it's still the case that people in kind of central Sydney and Melbourne and the other biggest cities um, who pay those really high fees are still going to be very out of pocket um, compared to people where the, the fees um, are, are a bit lower. But as I say, look, it's a it's a good idea to kind of jump on and see, you know, exactly what you're entitled to and it can help you make some good decisions. And look, I, I mean, you're experiencing this as well. You've got, you know, one child that started school, another one starting next year. I've got both my children at school now. It's a lot easier when it's after school care. If your school has after school care available, and I think availability is still a big problem, but if you do have that resource available, it's a lot easier because the amounts that you are paying for after-school care and vacation care are probably not going to kind of get to that cap in the way that long day care would. Yeah. And, I mean, one of the conversations that I have had and have a lot um, is is when you hear um, women say, or and I mean, it's often even reported in the media that a person you know, if the mother works, she's only got $3.50 left in her salary at the end of the week once childcare is taken out. And and I uh, sort of promote the idea of looking at the childcare costs as a household expense. You know, I don't think many people express how much is spent on food as, as coming from the, from one person's salary or another. The same with the mortgage or with the rent or with the bills. It's just a household expense. And I think that because the childcare costs in particularly in capital cities in Australia is so expensive it is a significant portion of most families income and I think it can be dangerous when you start looking at it purely from one person's salary or another I think if you look at it as a household expense it is slightly easier to stomach Um, and then I think the thing is and as you've just said and as I have experienced with now we've got one child at school next year we're going to have two at school it does get a lot easier from a financial viewpoint. And it feels horrendous in those first years, first couple of years when you're paying childcare fees. It just feels like this enormous chunk of money. And it's tempting to think, well, would be better off stepping out of the workforce? Would one of us be better off not working? And I think I encourage people to take a sort of long-term view of of those numbers and, and think about what you will get in terms of your income ability over time, as opposed to you know, looking at the costs at, at this point in time. And don't forget, it's not just the income and it's not just the future income earning potential, which is really important to protect, but there's also the superannuation that you'd be paid um, on that income, which wouldn't normally kind of be considered when you're looking at the cost of childcare either. But look, I, I also thought it'd be a good idea to talk about, you know, other 
kind of more discretionary expenses around um, children. I, I don't know about you, but once my kids started school, they seemed to be invited to birthday parties every other week. And, you know, it might just be a bunch of kids in the park, but they've invited the whole class because they're trying to be inclusive. But, you know, five and six-year-old kids and older, of course, they, there is an expectation for presents. So we always seem to be forking out for, you know, things like that. You know, they grow quickly and they muddy their clothes and they, you know, they need new shoes every other week. And what yeah. are some of the kind of smart ways that, that you've done to kind of try to reduce that burden? Well, look, I'm always on the lookout for new opportunities and new ways of improving our techniques. I think we have tried to take a pretty broad view of the things that matter to us and we've sort of prioritised those things. So for us, our kids love going to other kids' birthday parties and so it's something that I I very happily, I mean, I'm not extravagant in the gifts that I buy for them to go to other parties, but I think I want to reciprocate the generosity that we have. And so in, in, in our budget Buying presents, even regularly for parties, is not something that we begrudge or or rule out purely because it's something that the kids get genuine enjoyment from. We think um, we often uh, we've become uh, very friendly with a lot of families in our in our area on account of the girls being at school and at preschool, and I think those things matter to us. Having said that, there are things like as I said earlier, we don't have extravagant bedrooms. We don't have beautiful nurseries done up for the kids. It's just not something that we have the cash flow for and it's not something that we have prioritised. And I think that you can make incredible savings. We've always bought secondhand prams, um, you know, bought them off Gumtree or off eBay and, and you get an incredible pram for a third of the price. Um, and, and I think that you can make those sorts of savings on all pieces of equipment if you want to, from, from the from the change table to the cot to the, you know, if you if you need a feeding chair, basically anything you need for kids, you can get at a discounted rate um, and often in really good condition. For second hand, you mean? For second hand, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I, I love I love having twins, actually, to tell the truth. But one one downside is that I couldn't ever kind of do hand-me-downs from one child to another. Yes. You know, we, needed, we needed two cots at the same time. We needed two car seats at the same time. They need the same size clothes and, you know, as they get older, they're a boy and a girl, they kind of want to wear different things and, you know, I let them kind of, you know, choose what they're most comfortable wearing. But I have found that, you know, through Facebook and um, and so on that if you put the word out, people are more than happy to give you old clothes in pretty good condition. You know, there's often kind of things for sale on on Facebook groups or on Gumtree or whatever. And you don't need to kind of spend lots of money for the basics. And then the, I guess, you know, I was talking about the, the spending money on um, birthday presents, but my goodness, you know, you host a party and then it's like all coming back at you and it's almost too much. So I don't really need to buy many toys for the kids at all. <laughs> I know. I, I, do, I do have to say, even though I said I am always very happy to buy presents, I am, I am always conscious of the fact that most houses with families in it do not need extra useless stuff. And I mean, as soon as you have kids, I don't know where this stuff comes from, but we have got more plastic. The little kids just, it, it, it must like reproduce while they're asleep because I, we tidy up their room and do those big clean outs where we throw stuff out all the time. And yet there's more stuff there. So I do, I, I tend to try to go for things like books, um, or a new pair of swimmers or something like that, 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 that get worn out and used as opposed to just sort of piling up in the corner. I think that's a great idea. I mean, I, I don't want to be kind of 
modeling kind of just gross consumerism to my, my, my children either. Like, no. you know, I want them to appreciate things. And I think, yeah, the, the more, more you can kind of create some balance, you know, it's okay to enjoy things. It's okay to have new things, but you don't want them to be coveting it. You know, no. you don't want to kind of create a, a monster, I guess. No. I also do think that, that with the hand-me-downs and the sort of sharing economy, I do think that what you cultivate also comes around. And, um, you know, because we have had three girls, we have been lucky in that we have – there's certain pieces of equipment that we have been able to use for all three um, and certain items of clothing because there is – you know, while there are some things like swimmers that genuinely get worn out, um, there are other things that last. And we tend to – you know, once our kid, our youngest has grown out of certain things, we've been giving the nice things away to friends that have had – um, babies, and then we we also reciprocate that sort of generosity, and people give us mm. their things. And look, if if money's a bit tight, um, you know, you can always try selling things um, through, uh, you know, sites like Gumtree and eBay and Facebook and so on, as or you know, hold a garage sale or or whatever. Um, you know, I I read a report recently that said the average household. This isn't just kids stuff; it's just in general. Yep. has about. $5,000 of unwanted things that they could sell sitting around in their homes. So, you know, I think um, that's something worth thinking about as well. Well, that doesn't surprise me. But look, I want to say, before we wrap up, I want to say there's one really important thing that you need to do when you have children, and that's to have a will. And now you, you should probably have a will before you have children. You know, you, you might have assets, you might have loved ones, and, you know, but... Once you have children, it's incredibly important and it's not because of where your money and your asset goes because that would, you know, typically under the law go to your partner and yes, and so on. But the biggest reason is to appoint a testamentary guardian so that if you and the children's other parent die at the same time or in a very short space of time, that you've appointed someone whose job it is to make decisions about the children. And the reason for that is that you might have all sorts of relatives, you know, you know, your your parents, the other set of grandparents, your sister, who are all perfectly willing to take the children and look after them and love them. But if they don't have that power in your will as the testamentary guardian, they've got to go to a tribunal and fight for that right. They've mm, got, you know, mm. it's there's a long and tedious process to kind of get to that point. So that's the number one thing I would say when you're having children, just make sure you get that paperwork done. Yeah, we have done that. And, and you, you, it feels quite horrible at the time because it does make you confront the sort of worst case scenario. But ultimately, having that peace of mind that should something disastrous happen, you have taken the relevant steps to ensure that your kids are as well looked after as they possibly can be is, is an important peace of mind. And you probably want to look at um, your life insurance in that as well, but we're going to talk more on that in a later episode. If you have any topics or questions, feel free to drop us a line, podcast at kindling.com.au. And we do actually have a question from a listener. Helen from Collingwood in Melbourne has written in. She says, do you have any advice on managing household bills? Hubby and I have just moved into a bigger apartment before our second baby is here. Since the move, we're really struggling to stay on top of everything, and I really don't want to put any more on the credit card than I already have. Do you have any tips on how to organise ourselves for the next few months? 
I keep trying to persuade my husband to spend an afternoon to sit down and go through our finances to try and get everything in order, but he he is more reluctant than our two-year-old. If I can get a babysitter to come, then he and I can spend an afternoon going through our bank statements and bills, but where should I start? It's all a mess. Well, I think that there are some really good tools out there from ASIC's Money Smart website. Um, So it's a government uh, site. They have on their website things like a budget planner where you can kind of plug in the numbers of what you have been spending and a bunch of apps as well, such as I really like the Track My Spend app. So you can actually track everything you spend and then you're not just kind of guesstimating how much you spend on various things, but you actually have some real information. And, you know, having all those kind of credit card statements and so on will will help you with that as well. And look, I was going to say, I think that regardless of how reluctant your partner is, it's worth persisting. So if there's a way that you can sell it to both of you, I don't know if there's something that he particularly loves for dinner or something, but if you can come to an agreement, bribe yourselves to set, set aside this time and actually do it because... I mean, we all know there are always more fabulous things you can be doing than sitting down going through your bills, but actually it's really important, particularly because you are feeling overwhelmed and particularly because you're about to welcome another baby into the family. So the financial position will change again, presumably. So I would say uh, keep at it. Well, I think also procrastination is often a sign um, of that you're fearing that something's going to be uncomfortable. And it's 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 uncomfortable because it's boring to look at this stuff. And it's also uncomfortable because it might be quite confronting if there are if there are money issues. So, you know, I think it's it's understandable not wanting to do it. I think you're you're being really sensible in kind of, you know, recognizing it's important to do. And you know, it is it's really important that couples um, talk about these things and get on the same page. But if you're if you can't get your husband to sit down with you, it shouldn't stop you from kind of having a look yourself. Well, that's it for this episode. I'm Georgina and I'm Caitlin. Join us next time for more of your family, your money. In the next episode, we are going to be talking about housing. Yeah, rent and mortgages and all of that good stuff. Your Family, Your Money is brought to you by Westpac Bump Savings Account as part of Westpac's 200th year celebration. If your baby was born in 2017, Westpac will deposit $200 into a Westpac Bump Savings Account, which they can withdraw when they turn 16. You can open the account online today. Visit westpac.com.au forward slash dearbump. Account must be opened and your ID verified by 31 May 2018. The $200 is limited to one per child and will be forfeited if the account is closed before their 16th birthday. Other T's and C's and eligibility criteria apply. Read the T's and C's available at the Westpac website before deciding if the product is right for you.